Welcome to Writer Syndrome, a podcast about writing from start to finish. I'm Russ Capasso, and joining me as always is Tim Letney. We have a special episode today as we're joined by J.D. Edwin, author of the soft sci-fi fantasy trilogy Headspace. J.D. has also published short fiction work through Short Fiction Break. Her latest work, The Write Fast System, is a guide on streamlining your writing process and is out now. JD, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, uh, pretty excited. I, I first want to say that um, I, you've written a lot of articles for therightpractice.com, um, and that's actually how I discovered you. Uh, I read many of your articles, actually, while I was writing my book, uh, and they were very helpful. So I just want to throw that out there right off the bat. <laughs> Glad to hear that. Yeah, I think there's like a lot of stuff we want to kind of cover here. Um, so we kind of get right into it. I know beforehand we talked about, you had mentioned that you were on a publishing contract and that's kind of changed this past year. I guess just to kind of get things going, like what, how was that process? And like, I guess, how did you get onto a publishing contract? It was it a querying process that was attached to it. It was actually a really unusual process of how I got a publishing contract. And it's one of those things where, you know, you said you've been with the right practice for a little while and the right practice is all about networking, right? They teach you to connect with other people and put yourself out there. And how I got this contract is actually because I put myself out there after hesitating for a really long time. So I've gone through the querying thing before. I've gotten like, I think my record is 63 rejections in three months. It was both of fun. But the press that I was contracted with is actually part of the right practice. Were you aware of that? I know, not at all. Yeah, they have their own publishing house, the Story Cartel Press. Okay. And it's not very widely known, mostly because they are small op and they had to be very, very selective in who they took. So I actually first joined the right practice back when they were called the Story Cartel back in 2013. Ah, and okay. they were operating on a forum. <laughs> I don't know if you remember <laughs> the little forums with the list of topics. That's what yeah. they were back then. And I didn't do a whole lot with it for a long time. And then about five or six years ago, they started having writing contests. And I submitted a short story on a whim. And I placed. They had six winners, and I was number six. I placed. I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. So they held another one a few months later, and I submitted again, like, why not? And I placed again. And they had two categories, and I placed in both of them. And I was like, oh, okay. So what they were doing then was they have, I think they still have this, the short story break online magazine. Mm -hmm. And they would ask the, the winners to, you know, be staff writers. And even though I didn't win, I, I placed so many times that they noticed me and they're like, yeah. hey, come write for us. So I ended up writing like 30 something short stories for short fiction break. Wow. <laughs> so that was over, I want to say the mid 2010s, like it was right after my son was born. It's so like 2016, 2017, 2018. And then they started their one year to publish program where they help you write and self-publish in a year. And that was also when they were starting to explore this idea of opening up their publishing house. And Headspace, I did one year to publish twice. Headspace, the first book, was the project that I worked on the first time around. And I got such good feedback from it that when they started potentially looking for people for their publishing house, I went in and said, hey, 
would you consider me? And this is, again, a matter of putting yourself out there and not being scared because I was really self-conscious about doing that. You know, this whole process, you guys are (laughs) writers, you know what it feels like to put yourself out there. It's, it's a lot, but you can't be scared to do it. And after they reviewed me, they actually signed me on for my trilogy. And it's been a great partnership because they're a small house. So we all working a partnership instead of me having to follow all, like if they have a set of rules with big publishers, you don't have a whole lot of control. So working with a small publisher, we were able to partner and bounce ideas back and forth. So that was really great. But I was only contracted for the trilogy and given the small op that they have, uh, they can only take on very few authors at a time with their bandwidth. Yeah. So my trilogy wrapped up this year. I still work with them on some things. You know, I still taught classes for the right practice and they still help me with my nonfiction. But my contract with them is up now. And yeah. it was a, it was a great experience. And it was a weird little road of how I got there. Yeah. So so you had so the Headspace trilogy. Um, you basically had that plan then. It wasn't just like you wrote the first book and had it kind of came about later on. Like you had a plan. To yeah, write a I wrote trilogy. the first book and then I decided maybe there's more. Oh, there, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had nothing point. I wrote the first book and then I thought there's more to the story. Yeah. Here. So. I'm curious about like that that in, like relationship with them. Uh, you know, did they provide editors for you, or how was that like process, or was that kind of all on your own? They provide as part of the contract. They provided editing, formatting, and cover okay. stuff, and they also provided audio book. Oh, nice. And we actually were not able to do the audio book for book three because when again, this is the. Uh, ups and downs of working with a small press. The up is you can partner with them and they'll actually care and listen to what you have to say. I was very involved in the editing, the cover design and all of that. But they also may run out of resources and we run out of resources for the third audio book. So I may eventually go in and try to uh, complete that myself out of my own pocket, but I haven't decided if I will because it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And I mean, I just don't have the bandwidth for it right now. What about the marketing components? So I'm always really curious about, even if it's a small publisher, do they step <laughs> in? Do they do a little marketing? Do they budget for it? Or is that something that falls solely on the author? Okay, this is, um, are you guys, do you guys have much interaction with publishers at all, big or small? I just got my first rejection letter uh, for a query. So I only have about 150 more. And <laughs> So this is something that I didn't learn until I started working with Story Cartel Press and until I got more exposed to the industry of it, is that that question is kind of complicated because it varies a lot. I'm sure you guys are familiar that there's different kinds of publishers. Like, you know, you have the big publishers, then you have the smaller publisher, and then you have the vanity publishers who will do everything for a fee, that kind of thing. Mm. So... These days, publishing is not what you what it used to be. Like 20, 30 years ago, even big publishers would do a lot more marketing for you. These days, even with a big publisher, there's a lot of onus on the author to do marketing. Now, Story Cartel Press is a little bit unique in that they already had the right practice community because that's their bread and butter mm. to help do some of that marketing. So there was some of that that helped with the initial boost. But after that, there was a bit of a combination where they ran some promos for me and then I paid to run promos for myself. 
And with my contract ending, like even during the contract, I had to run some of my own promotion, paying for that. With my contract ending, obviously now I run my own promos. Um, being a small no-name author, you got to be willing to share out, shell out the money <laughs> for the promotion yourself. And in future projects, obviously I'm going to have to pay, I pay for my own editing and formatting and things like that. But I'm actually going to return to querying was my next was my next project uh, mostly because I've got my headspace out there now I can keep promoting it while I query it doesn't feel like I'm rushing to get out there that's gonna be my next question about um if you're gonna go the self-published route or seek another publisher is, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to do uh, self-publish or I've done self-publishing before okay I did self-publishing in 2013. Okay. I wrote a book. I was like 25 years old. I wrote this book. It was, it took three years to write. It was 150,000 words long. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I self-published it. First of all, I wasn't very good because I didn't know what I was doing then. Yep. The other words I was, I didn't understand marketing. But even aside from that, the process of self-publishing, I felt like I felt like I'm not built to wear that many hats. Mm. It just mm. didn't work very well. Like some people, they're really good at doing all the different parts of it. And I really wasn't. So I, even if my book wasn't great, I don't feel like I did it justice just mm. because I couldn't do all do the parts very well. So I'm, I've decided to return to query and see how that turns out. Yeah, I think Tim and I... Uh, uh, We've been talking about writing for a long time and he's just finished his project. He's working, you know, working on querying and I'd finished mine. And I was definitely, I think early on, it was like, yeah, I'm going to self-publish. And I was kind of on the fence a little bit. And he's like, I'm going to query. I'm going to query. That's where I'm going. That's where I want to get a publisher. And I was like, I'm going to self-publish. And then finally I went for it. So we've been kind of on two different yeah. paths right now. It's been interesting to That's see. That's really uh, interesting. You can compare how your journey yeah. 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 And I was like trying to pressure Russ. I was like, well, you know what? Why don't you just throw it out there? Why don't you query it? And he's like, no, no, I want to have like control. I want to make sure the product can get out when right. I want it out. Yeah. And in my head, much to your point, JD, is that I don't, I didn't, I'd love to outsource some of the work. It's such a completely different part of my brain. Right. Even, even right. querying really is this kind of it's different. lonely it's so different. lack of dopamine drip process yes. that I don't get the same kind of satisfaction that I get from writing or even planning right. to write or researching. It's, it's a uh, not great. So I completely identify it with kind uh, of why drains you're going. your soul a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. One yep. rejection at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to uh, get it. So when you were under contract and I come curious to see, cause we were talking about when we were chatting over email is your writing process from going from being, you know, under contract with a publisher versus like now, how has that changed? So I was actually writing in my newsletter about this the other day. <laughs> I'm a very type A personality. Like I thrive on deadlines and <laughs> goals and milestones. So in the last three or four years, I wrote four books. Like I wrote a book every year. They all, the drafts overlapped. I was doing editing on one uh, and promo on another and writing on another one. That's amazing. just how I went. And plus when I signed it, they had the expectation of putting the books out one after like one every year. Yeah. So I had to keep on top of that, which means I had to stick to a very rigid schedule to make yeah. sure. It and I mean, I worked hard. I burned out hard because I was also, I know I work full time. I've got kids. It's a lot of work. 
but it it was okay for me. Like I had some bad days, I had some burnout periods, but it it was all right. In the summer after the third book came out, um, actually that was in the end of my deadlines, October when my nonfiction came out. That was my last deadline, and I taught a class for it, and that was my final thing. Like that was contracted to do. And I found myself without deadlines for the first time <laughs> in about three and a half years, <laughs> and it felt like my brain just kind of deflated. For a little <laughs> now、while. what? Now what do I do? <laughs> so I had a book ongoing right now, but I was working it on the side of all those other contracted things. So once、uh, my brain deflated from the lack of <laughs> deadlines. It kind of overall deflated, you know, like where you're like, ah,、oh, it's、yeah. it's over now. What?、Yeah. So I ended up taking about a month off, which was、um, half of October and most of November, where I kind of rethought how I want to approach my writing because I've been going full speed for so long that the idea of slowing down has been a little weird. So I originally had all these plans of all these things I'm going to work on before the end of this year. I kind of let them go, to be honest. I'm like, you know what? It's okay to slow down for a while.、Yeah. So I'm in a bit of an adjustment period right now. I think I'm gonna try not to hold myself to the one book a year rule, at least the best I can, because it's a lot. Yeah, a book every、yeah. year, it's it's a lot. So I'm gonna slow down and try to focus on one project at a time, rather than overlapping things like I've been having to do. Yeah. But it's still very much in the experimental stage. It's still、yeah. very fresh. I couldn't imagine overlapping like that. <laughs> like, yeah, it was like, it was chaos. It was after、true. finishing the first book, I was like, wow, that was a lot of work. I kind of want to go on vacation now. <laughs> I was like, I need、yeah. a breather. And we talk about it all the time on the cast, like not only. Turning out that much material, but balancing work and life and your family—that's、um, amazing. You'd said before that,、um, you know, when you were just starting Headspace, it was right after the birth of your first child.、Uh, my second. It was second actually、child. about. Actually, I didn't start Headspace then. That was when I started entering like the writing contests and stuff.、Oh, okay. When I started Headspace, it was 2018.、Uh, my kids were two and four. Okay. Oh, just in, they're just teething, so not a big deal. It's,、uh, <laughs> te- yeah. it's fine. Go chew on something. Yeah, go chew on something. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of shifting a little bit into writing this series because I'm fascinated about that process.、Um, and I'm going to start with this question. I'm sure you've gotten quite a few times. I think I've seen some of the other interviews where someone's asked this because Tim and I have this this back and forth all the time.、Uh, if you're a pantser versus a planner. And、I know that's a big, big topic amongst everyone. I'm just curious for for writing the Headspace trilogy. I know you said you wrote the first book, and you're like, "Oh, there's more here." Like, what level of planning kind of went into that? Even starting with the first book with Headspace, where you just okay, kind of like, Tim read my nonfiction, right? Yes, I did,、he、and、knows. I should get extra points for that because yes, you should. Not read <laughs> I'm a I'm a planner, and the reason I'm a planner is because panting didn't work for me. Yeah. And if you read my nonfiction,、um, I talk about how I arrived at that, which is the reason my first book way back when was so unsuccessful was because I pants the whole thing, and it took so long because I kept writing myself into corners,、mm-hmm. and when I do that, I will set it aside, come back to it three months later, completely forget where I was at.、Mm-hmm. Eventually, when I Start wanting to work on Headspace. I went and I read a bunch of books on how to write fiction. Like I just, I,、um, the Write Great Fiction series, highly recommended by the way, really useful. 
So I read a bunch of books on how to write fiction, and I thought about it, and I decided I'm gonna try planning, just see how it goes. So, and all of this is in my nonfiction, so I won't go too deep into it. I can talk about it for days. <laughs> But I have, I'm kind of a combination. I'm a heavy planner, but there's also a panting element because I believe if you do adequate planning, you can pant through it a lot faster. Like mm. the first draft of Headspace took five and a half weeks. It was 80,000 words. I wrote it in five and a half weeks because I planned it out. I can, anytime I get stuck, I can refer to my plan and go, okay, that's where I need to go next. So I believe that planning helps you pants faster. What like what level of like discovery do you so in your planning, you know, do you have like, you know, character profiles and you know everyone's no. hair color and all that sort of stuff and like No, my okay. planning is really bare bones and I keep emphasizing this in my nonfiction as well, is if you over plan, you're gonna yeah. make yourself feel bogged down. Yeah. What you do is you do a loose framework, I do a loose skeleton, and then I do a scene list. And I don't follow them. They will change a lot by the time I actually write. But it gives me a rough guideline of this is where I'm trying to get to. Yeah. So I'm never lost. Yeah, I I had started with uh, whatever the, the snowflake method a long time ago, which was helpful for me because I liked having like that kind of building upon something before and then getting to like, you know, a scene breakdown where it's like I have something at least ahead of me, but I never let that, I never let that be set in stone. I was like, okay, I can move around here a little bit, mm-hmm. but... Um, I think I, originally I was like a lot of things I was planning too much <laughs> and yeah. got to ease I, back I a little bit. way too much, like way, way too much. So when I was reading um, your nonfiction, when I was reading the right fast system, it like hit my soul because so much of the things that you include in that book are things that I fumbled through, right? I had to find so much in the edit and I wasted so much time in the edit by fixing things that I hadn't right. planned adequately for. And mm-hmm. eventually I did. But geez, going through a hundred thousand words to to make sure there's a consistency in character motivations and that's why you yeah. edit with the plot treatment, if you remember. Yeah. And I ended up so Russ is a big spreadsheet guy. I was <laughs> so fighting I. against the spreadsheets. So <laughs> um, but I needed one. I absolutely needed a scene breakdown. Mm-hmm. I needed character motivation breakdown, and it helped a ton. But um, just to plug your book a little bit, um, had I read that before I'd begun writing it would have helped me a lot. Make sure you read, leave me some re- reviews. I'll leave you a review. Yeah. One thing that stuck out in the book too that I really enjoyed, um, that when you are kind of going through it and writing, I liked that you kind of said, um, give yourself permission to write badly. Yes. Like, i.e. like if you write yourself into a corner for some reason, don't get hung up on it. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Like have a bad solution and note it, you know, in your reference material right. that you're going to go back and fix it just to keep moving along. And I think that's, that was a really, really good point. I think that's a that's a great point for first for first time first drafts too because I got hung up on that so much where I'd go back and I edit and I'd, I'd be stuck on like one page trying to get myself into the next spot. It's like just keep moving, keep moving. And that was actually something I learned from Stephen King's on writing. Have yeah. you guys read on writing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> where he's like, no book should take more than three months to write. And yeah, <laughs> I really took that to heart. I was like, it makes sense. You gotta <laughs> you gotta do it quickly, otherwise you're not gonna move through it. Yeah. Everybody's kind of got that, or most writers have that like first book or first attempt. And yes. I had one in my 20s, same thing, where I was editing as I went. It was really short. It, it took to years and years and years. Yeah. It was part of a writer's group, yeah. and it was just this like, I edited 10 pages, 
And then I rewrote it and I just never progressed into act three. I never finished the thing because of that perfecting as I was writing. So it's like that first book, it's it's important. It gets you understanding what not to do. It's like swimming through molasses to get through it. For writing a series, coming back to this uh, and kind of guess bigger picture outlining. I'm curious because I'm kind of writing a series somewhat where I have, you know, characters are all interconnected over three stories. They're not necessarily direct sequels to each other, but they're all tied together with something. Um, do you have any, any like general series tips or like how to keep that kind of, you know, on track and in focus? I actually write series the way you do. Okay. My books are not direct sequels. It's not like Harry Potter where like one book is right after the other. Yeah. Headspace, the book two is actually a prequel to headspace and then book okay. three is a sequel uh you know in headspace you've got the aliens they came they've got the game and book two is actually about the host of the game like how they got to where they are and then book three takes place like a long time after book one i i think it's interesting because I, it's kind of i'm doing something similar to mine i have the, the first book i just wrote but i have a secondary character that everyone kind of really loved that i mm -hmm. really enjoyed writing for um so i'm kind of writing a prequel story for her that's going to lead up to the events of the first See, you're book you're doing the exact same thing yeah. <laughs> that then, I am. And yeah and then i had an idea for a third book which i was like oh that'll take place afterwards and kind of if you read all three together you know it works so out so the advice i would give on that is that if you're writing things like prequels you have to make sure that what happens to your character in the early story makes sense for what they do in the later ones. And yeah. when you do it in reverse like that, it gets a little difficult because you're trying to kind of retrofitting history. You yeah, know? yeah. So you got to think about is what happened to them in this event makes sense for how they act later on. Yeah, Tim and I were actually just talking about that, I think, recently. I was like, it's weird. I have to think about this character. She's a she's she has certain behaviors and she's making certain decisions in the first book, but and she's you know acts a certain way. I have to make sure that whatever's happening in this first book is a little bit different from that. She can't be the same way. She's gotta be the things and experience she goes through in that first book have to kind of put her in this position in, in the book that's already out there. So well best of luck on that. I actually think that's the best way to write series. I love that. I yeah. love writing series. Yeah, just coming kind of out of out of out yeah. of out of place. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fun fun uh, fun process. So curious if you were ever going to return to the the Headspace world, or if that's done. Like if the trilogy itself is. I am going to return to the Headspace world. I have a fourth book planned, and it's going to be the ultimate prequel of how all the games started in our universe. Oh, very cool. Like the early prequel, but it's very complicated because in writing that one, I have to consider all the other ones that are already written. And mm. uh, the characters that would be in that, you would meet them in the prequel, the in book two, you will meet them. And this is their story way before of how they end up joining this whole situation. But I don't know where that falls in my pipeline, partly because I think I need a break from yeah. that space to work on some other things. My current book is called Love, Death, and Other Things I'm Bad At. It's a cozy fantasy. That's like a new genre. I never used to hear that before, the cozy fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because it stuck out to me. I'd never heard it. I love that title, by the way. So what <laughs> yeah. is... Can you like give like a, a TDLR of cozy fantasy? Have you guys heard the, of the book Legends and Lattes? That's like the cozy fantasy headliner right no. now. But no. it's like the best I can describe it is that it's 
comedy or romantic comedy, you know, that line, the heartwarming story, but in a fantasy set. So Love, Death, and Other Things I'm Bad At is about a girl who, it takes place in a world like ours, except there's magic, but magic is an outdated thing. Like, people can use magic, but why would you? Why would you send a raven with your letters or an owl when you can send email? It's that kind of thing. <laughs> like, there's magic, but why would you use it? So in this world, we've got Winnie. She is a, a customer liaison director person in a company, and she's trying to go up the career ladder, but some stuff happens. She gets fired. So she stumbles into another job that's always hiring, which is reaping. So reaping under the Grim Reaper because they always <laughs> need people for that. But she also gets onto the job right when the new Grim Reaper is taking over because the Grim Reapers change every few hundred years. They hand down the mantle. And the new guy, you know, he's young, he's inexperienced. His training is really out of date because... They don't train you on how to social media when you're learning to read, to read people. <laughs> so he's very introverted and anxious about all this. And she befriends him. And it's a bit of a romantic comedy situation. But there's also corporate drama where there's people trying to make the power of reaping privatized so anybody can do it. And they can monetize it. <laughs> And, That's great. and she's trying to work with him like, no, you can't allow that to happen. But there's you know, corporate drama and romance, corporate drama, magic. Very cool. Kind of switching over to, to nonfiction. What what kind of led you to the path of, to writing the, the Write Fast system and kind of inspired you to, to do that? I actually never considered that I would write a nonfiction. Yeah. It's uh, not something I really thought of. But then I also never thought I would write articles either. Mm. I guess back in 2020, when I was first really starting to take my writing seriously, that was my also my first round of one year to publish with the year of the pandemic. I was just looking for any way to expand my audience and reach out. And I asked the right practice, do you think I could try writing articles? They said, yeah, you can write one and we can see how it is. And then they liked what I wrote, so I kept doing that for a while. And eventually, we got to a point where they said, you know, if we collect some of these um, articles, there might be a book in here. And that was also when I was teaching classes on writing productivity, on how to write faster and be more productive with your writing. And eventually, they said, this is your a main brand as far as nonfiction goes. If you want to try to write a series of articles that we may be able to put into a book, which is how this one ended up. Most of the chapters in this book are present in some form or fashion in the right practice articles. It's just a lot more organized and more concise. Condensed. Yeah. Just curious, um, the intentionality behind going with two separate author names for the fiction and the, the nonfiction. I didn't think about that initially. Um, my publishers, what's, you know, right practice, they're actually the ones who suggested I do that because they said, so this is probably going to be my only nonfiction. I don't think I'm going to write anymore. The main reason is as I started writing more articles in 2020 and 2021, at one point, you know, Joe Bunting, the head of right practice, we were on a call and he said, what kind of author do you want to be? Are you 
a fiction writer or you a teaching author? Because if you keep going down this path, you're going to end up a teaching author like me. And mm. I was like, oh, um, that that makes sense. Mm. Because at that point, I was teaching more classes. I was doing uh, lectures at their virtual retreats. I was doing productivity classes. I was speaking to later writing groups that came. And that really gave me pause because at one point I thought, well, you're a writer, right? You reach out to as many people yeah. as would be helpful. And there are some authors who write fiction and nonfiction on writing. And But eventually he told me, and I'm realizing this is true, is if you're trying to gain your audience, you don't want to dilute your brand. Mm-hmm. You don't want to cast your net too wide. Like I'm doing my newsletters, right? And people who read my newsletters, they're going to have expectations of what kind of content I produce. If I am preaching to a crowd of writers, I would want to talk about the technicals of writing. If I'm preaching to a crowd of fiction writers, they're going to want to hear about the more creative side of things and Mm author life and things like that. So after my trilogy came out, I made the decision that, you know, I don't write articles anymore either. I folded that idea by Joe as well. And he said, it's, if I don't want to dilute my brand any further, I have already done it quite a bit, but going forward, I really should stop. And I agree with him. I'm gonna, I'm, which is why I'm focusing on promoting my fiction now. And he also, was also the one who suggested I put those books under two separate names so that when people search, I don't look like someone who's trying to cast a net over everything. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, I guess, just to really identify your target audiences mm-hmm. with with each piece of uh, work. Coming back to, to writing fiction versus nonfiction, how was that process different from, I'm sure it's vastly Non-fiction's different. Nonfiction's from... really boring. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> You can't just make stuff up. (laughs) I like writing fiction. Yeah. Nonfiction is surprisingly easy for me. I guess having written as much as I have, I do have a lot of quote unquote pearls of wisdom Hmm. to share. So they're not difficult to write. And uh, I never imagined myself teaching classes, but that's not difficult either. But I don't especially enjoy them. Like they don't spark joy, if you know mm. what I mean. Yep. I can do them. They feel more like work. Yeah. Whereas fiction writing feels more like passion. Yeah. So I would say fiction work takes more effort, but it's more enjoyable work. It feels more like passion and fun. And nonfiction is a it's different. Yeah. It's a little stiffer. Yeah. Is there anything you wanted to talk about, JD, before we broke? I took a Neil Gaiman's masterclass not oh, too yeah. long ago. How was that? Are you guys familiar with that? I'm familiar with the class and yeah. the, and the, yeah, yeah, the, the author. Gaiman. I just yeah. finished that last week. And I actually was have been talking to a lot of people about this because it's not what you would expect of a writing class. It's um, I highly recommend it. But only after you've, well, you guys have written at least one book. You Only after you've written at least one book. Yeah. Because he talks a lot about the thinking processes of writers and how to handle yourself as an author. Some of those things wouldn't make sense if you don't have at least some experience. Yeah. First. 
I was listening to it and I was like, five years ago, I don't think I would have understood this class. So uh, I know you kind of touched on it earlier. So what's, what's I guess, kind of plugging all the stuff you're working on? So what's kind of next in terms of... Uh, co- co- the Cody Fantasy is first. That's the one I'm going to query. I've got that one working in um, probably the final draft right now. That's the one I'm going to query. And I, I have some hopes for it. I think it's um, interesting enough that I could possibly get some attention. Uh, when I was querying way back in the day, I've actually gotten two full manuscript requests. But they didn't lead anywhere. Mm. And it, it takes forever. It takes mm. forever. I'm going into this with high hopes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, the, the the subgenre of fantasy, it in my brain, it sells. Like I can picture like being on a blanket near a fire with a cup of chamomile, reading a nice cozy fantasy. I right. think it's I'm a really hoping. cool subgenre. Yeah, I'm hoping for that. And it's kind of a new genre, and there's not a whole lot of it. Because fantasy as a genre, there's certain expectations. Yeah. Of like the high fantasy, the magic, the drama. So there's not a whole lot of cozy fantasy. And uh, actually, that's something Neil Gaiman said in his class. He said, genre is about what people expect to get out of it. I'll throw it out there. What are you reading and watching right now? <laughs> I'm reading Stephen King's fairy tale. Okay. Yeah. I'm a huge Stephen King fan. I've been a lifelong Stephen King fan. I went through a phase of thinking I was going to be the next Stephen King in my (laughs) teen years until I realized I'm no good at horror. Oh, no. I don't think I've grown out of that phase yet. (laughs) But I still love Stephen King and I'm reading Fairy Tale. It's one of the newer ones. It is thick. Yeah. It is 600 pages. It's gigantic. And um, I feel like as Stephen King's gotten older, he's gotten, he's just leaning harder and harder into his whole nostalgia bin. Mm. I don't know if you guys read Stephen King, if you know that he's really into the nostalgia yeah, thing. Yeah. And this one is heavy, heavy on that. So mm. it's a little slow going. It's good, but it's a little slow going. And I feel like when you're Stephen King, no one's going to nitpick at how much you <laughs> How long yeah. your book is. No. Everyone's probably scared <laughs> to tell him to cut it down. So it's yeah. just, <laughs> so it's just Steven, can you cut this down 300 pages or so? Yeah, no, that's not happening. So it's a no gigantic book that you've got to be patient with. And how about watching anything? You uh, Any series or movies that you're watching these days? I just watched the Frasier reboot. And? It's good. <laughs> yeah. <like> Frasier? <laughs> it yeah. feels just like the old Frasier. They did a great job. Like, I was surprised at how well they captured. Frasier is kind of like the way back in the day. Yeah. One of those way back in the day uh, sitcoms, and they really recaptured the flavor. Oh, nice. I'll check that out. Tim, what are you, what are you reading? What are you watching? Let's see, Headspace. Yep, right. Um, <laughs> I am halfway through Headspace by J.D. Edwin. It's great. I recommend it. You can find it on Amazon. <laughs> Let's see what else I... I finished the right fast system, which is very helpful. Otherwise, I have just started The Return of the King. I'm reading it to my kids before bed. So we are four into uh, Tolkien's Middle Earth. So um, yeah, I read them The Hobbit. I read them Fellowship, finished Two Towers, and and now we're into Return of the King, which is obviously phenomenal. And then I'm still kind of picking through White Noise again. It's like my comfort book. It's been a long time since I read Lord of the Rings. I read it to my kids so they fall asleep. (laughs) <laughs> um, like, especially if they're stressed out, if they've got like some Sunday scaries, it's got, it's going to be school, um, in fellowship, it worked great because there was really long flowing descriptions of bushes, <laughs> mountains, and <laughs> long rivers. And then, um, how old are your kids? Right? Uh, 12 and 10. Okay. 
But then right around two towers, the story really picks up and then it was keeping them up. So I had, I really tried to make my voice boring, more boring, <laughs> slow it down a little bit. Have you tried audiobooks? No, I haven't. And um, well, I, I'll say that's maybe not true. Years and years ago when they were toddlers, we would try audiobooks and podcasts, but it would, that it seemed to keep them up at the time. Yeah. But I would, it's a good, it's a good point. I should try that again. My daughter's nine. Yeah. And she just finished listening to all the Harry Potter audiobooks. Oh, wow. cool. That's a, oh. that's a journey. <laughs> it, it is. It took six months. <laughs> she, so audiobooks, you know, so you don't have to sit there with them. But of course, if it keeps them up, sometimes they, they read a little too exciting. Yeah, I think I've got this with everything, a romanticized vision of what I want. And I'm like, I want to sit by candlelight reading to my children. You know, it's not candle, but like by book light and reading. So, so you've got the uh, Hugo thing. Have you heard of that scene? No, no, no. It's uh, it's a, a current trend that goes with like simple little living stuff. It's H Y G G E. It's a Danish concept of cozy. Say, yeah. I mean, oh, okay. Books on that too. I heard of so this. So whenever you say that, I'm like, oh, it's Hugo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's my my perspective. So there is some kind of self gratifying part of this where I'm like, I want to be this type of dad that does a thing. <laughs> and then some days they're like, can you read to me? I'm like, I'm so tired. Like, I can't. <laughs> even look at reddit right now so no um and those would be good days for for an audiobook otherwise watching i just watched a horror movie that was mediocre argentinian movie called when evil lurks um act one awesome worth the price of admission or the or the the shutter subscription and then act two and three it was like definitely needed some revision and yeah. like but act one was amazing like my heart was in my throat for, for most of it it was um really really scary how about you, Russ? What are you reading? What are you watching? Uh, I'm finally finishing Dune again, reading it for like the third time. <laughs> I don't know why it's taking me so long, but uh, yeah, I'm like down to like the last hundred pages. I'll probably finish the it. Dune is one I could not get into. That's no. a slow book, man. It's a little too, you got to really have a taste for that kind of thing. And some people do. Yeah. I think the, 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 I had the first time I read it, it was, it was a long time ago. Second time I read it, I remember getting stuck in like the second act and just being like, what? Uh, and then after watching the movie and then coming back to it though, I feel much better about it. And definitely the second act is just holy smokes. And I forget how much time passes. And I'm like, oh my God. Um, but enjoying it more so this time. Uh, so I'm almost done with that. And then I'm reading um, this book called The Tourist, which is like a thriller, kind of straightforward espionage thriller. thriller. I read Game of Thrones um, within the last two or three years oh yeah it's uh i don't know i'm not a fan i know people love <laughs> oh, yeah. people, so, I'm not a fan. so did you watch the show first and then read the books or i read the books first and i okay. started the show and i immediately saw the change some of the changes and i made i was like i, I can't get into this yeah mm. but also with the books the problem is by the third book everybody you care about is dead, dead. Yeah. and there's all these new people <laughs> and you don't care about them so yeah. i'm like I, I can't care about this yeah I spent all this time with these other characters and you just killed them all. Great. Thanks. But yeah, and then I've got Headspace queued up after those two. And then watching, I finally watched Get Out the other day, which I oh, know. Oh, cool. I know, I know. I'm so behind on it, but I finally watched that. Uh, fantastic. And then right afterwards, I watched a Super Mario Brothers movie because I just needed something. Like, Your palate cleanser? I need, I need something to go to sleep to. <laughs> it was a fun one. So I love Get Out, man. And then have you have you seen Us yet? No, that that's next. That's next on the list. So you know, I saw that in the theater, and I walked out, and I was like, I shouldn't even write. <laughs> you know, it was one of those like because I was so impressed by it, and it had so many similar influences to what I have, which is like 
80s horror like Chud and Nightmare on Elm Street and, you know, Return of the Living Dead and stuff like that. It was the complete opposite of inspiring for me. I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I have a voice in this genre that's as, I don't know, essential or poignant. And it, it really it really did a number on me. It, it took me like months and months and months to like get the confidence again. Because I don't think my, my book is necessarily similar, but I think thematically there's some themes there that were similar. That's all to say, I totally recommend it. I, I think it's maybe one of his more underappreciated movies. Yeah. But I loved it. I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah. Look, you have a voice and you author have a voice. Just look at the romance genre. Okay. <laughs> they yeah. are there's like a billion authors churning out the same story. Yeah. A hundred million ways, but it's the same story. So I think what's tough, right? Is like once you recognize, and I know you break it up in, in the the right fast system. Um, but I think one of our kind of Bibles was um Save the Cat. Mm-hmm. And once you recognize the beats and you see the beats everywhere, it's really hard, at least for me, to see. Like I was watching the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mm-hmm. movie, right? And I was like, oh my God, this is just like my my book. It's not, yeah. but it's got the same it's structure. The same as, as, yes. as, the and it's supposed to. change a lot. And sometimes I, that can be a little discouraging for me, even though we've got to operate inside of that, you know, 10 to 15 beat structure. So I, I have this kind of imposter syndrome when I see similar bits of media that have the same arc, which is everything I, I would imagine. Yeah, it's it's commercial fiction because yeah. we're writing commercial fiction and commercial fiction needs to read a certain way. It's just how it goes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I don't know. I think this was this is great. This is awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much again for for joining us and taking the time. Uh, anytime you want to come back and chat about any bit of writing, let us I'd know. I'd love to hear more about the cozy fantasy. Yeah. So good <laughs> luck too. on that. And Yeah, when that one's out for querying, maybe you can talk again. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love it. Absolutely. That'd be fantastic. So thank you again. Uh, and good luck with, uh, with the cozy fantasy and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll stay in touch. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, so that's our episode. We want to thank JD Edwin again for joining us. Uh, that was a uh, great chat. So also head over to jdedwin.com. Um, you can check out all of her fiction. You can sign up for a newsletter and you can learn a bit more about the right fast system, which I kind of wish I learned about a little sooner. What are we talking about next? So next episode we're queuing up, I think we're going to get into themes. Yeah, I think themes. I think that's be good to chat about. Yeah, yeah. So stay tuned for that. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed it, you can follow us on Instagram, Writer Syndrome Books. We are Writer underscore Syndrome on Twitter. You can find all our episodes. Reach out to us if you have any feedback or want to chat. Um, hit us up at writersyndrome.com. 